You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. tells us that the resurrection means that everything Jesus told us about himself was true. He indeed is the Son of God. And being the Son of God, by believing in him, we too can have eternal life. And that's what the resurrection tells us. Resurrection tells us that God has a plan, an eternal plan for these mortal bodies that will be changed in an instant. He has a plan. The resurrection means to us that Jesus is alive today. Hallelujah. He is risen and he's risen indeed. Does knowing that Jesus is not in the tomb anymore do anything inside your heart when you think about it? In his message today, Pastor Dave will ask what the resurrection means for you personally. It has the power to radically change your life, but only if you let it. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 20 as he begins his message. Surprise! Gospel of John chapter 20. Verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first, went in also. And he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. As we look at this last third element, the glorious resurrection, the event that took most of the disciples and those following Jesus by total surprise. So as we begin chapter 20, it appears that some of the disciples are just hanging around in Jerusalem. But yet when you read other accounts in the Bible, and you need to read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John together to get the whole picture of what happened those days, we would read in Luke that some of them left town. Some of them were just bolted. They left town. But make no mistake about this. Every one of them was in mourning. Every one of them was in disbelief. How could this have happened to him? There was disappointment. There was discouragement. There was despair. There was a feeling of hopelessness. It all seemed like a bad dream. Man, were they perfectly set up for the surprise that was going to happen to them. It was a perfect setup by Jesus. So as we come to our text this morning, it has been 
three long nights since Jesus was placed in the tomb by Joseph of Arimathea and his friend Nicodemus. No one could go out to the tomb earlier because it was the Sabbath. Two reasons. It was too far to walk on the Sabbath to get to the tomb, and you couldn't anoint the body with oils like they wanted to do because that was considered work on the Sabbath. So they couldn't get to the tomb earlier than this time. So they go out to the tomb, and it's the dawning of a new day. It's the first day of the week, and some of the ladies go out to the tomb and bring spices to anoint the body. And I say ladies because in verse 2, when Mary is talking, she says, and we do not know. The other gospels talk about the ladies and even names them of the ladies, the group that went out to the tomb early that morning. Among them, we read, is Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene. Now, she's the one whom Jesus cast out seven demons, remember. So it was the beginning of a new day. It was the beginning of a new week, and it was still dark. But this would not be an ordinary day. This would be a day full of surprises, like I said. Let's look at verse 1a. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark. It must have seemed like a very, very long walk to the tomb that morning. These women's hearts were broken. Their hearts were heavy. Their Lord had died. And they were on their way to anoint his body. And as they went to anoint the body, I'm sure they were welling up and they were weeping because they were trying to prepare themselves to see Jesus' lifeless body. They were on their way. And when they got there, the tomb was open. The tomb was open. Surprise! The tomb was open. This great big stone that had been rolled in front of the tomb had been moved away. The tomb was open. Luke tells us that not only was the tomb open, but the woman went in and looked. They went in and looked, and he was gone. Surprise! He was gone. Jesus was not in the tomb. Where was he? He wasn't in the tomb. And they saw that the stone had been rolling away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. She runs to a place where some of the disciples were, and she finds Peter and John. Many people believe that this might have been John's house. Doesn't say. Could have been the upper room where they had had supper that time. Doesn't say. But nevertheless, she gets there, and she tells the guys what they've seen. Surprise! Can you imagine the look on their face? You did what? Where? What? Wait a minute. She was probably weeping all the more because he wasn't there. The body wasn't there. Listen to the despair in her voice. They've taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've laid him. You can feel her heart breaking because she can't find Jesus. Well, she's even more upset than she was before. Where's the body? They'd taken him. Not only was Jesus dead, but now there's no body. Oh, this is too much for her. My heart is breaking all over again. Notice, notice one thing. Never a thought of the resurrection. There was never a thought that he would rise from the dead. They didn't even go there. It never crossed their mind. Instead, someone has taken the body. 
Someone has taken the body. When the women went to the empty tomb, they looked in there, and what did they see? They saw with their physical eye, not their spiritual eye. They saw, saw things on the spiritual plane, and they, I mean, excuse me, on the physical plane, but they didn't relate it spiritually. They didn't see it spiritually. All they knew, that the tomb was empty. Someone had taken him. Imagine Peter and John hearing this. Did they look at each other and, and gasp? What? I, I can imagine looking on their faces. He's what? What? What, just, what are you talking about? Other accounts said that they didn't believe her. Other accounts said they didn't believe her. But what came to my mind, they were told that the resurrection was going to happen, but they couldn't believe it. It didn't sink into their hearts. Where is he? So they didn't believe Mary. They had to go see it for themselves. So they went out to go to the tomb. Let's look at verse 3. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. Now I love the other disciple, John. He's so modest, the one whom Jesus loved. He's so modest about his thing. He never says his own name, but he always wants to know you that, hey, Jesus loved me. Yeah. I'm the one Jesus loved. These guys are incredible. I love it. So Peter goes out. Peter leaves. They start the walk. Now, it seems like Peter left first, but I'm sure John caught up with them. Now, now you have to remember, back in this culture, men didn't run. Men did not run. They had these long robes. In order for them to run, they had to gather up the robe around their waist and they had to run. All right? So picture this. They go out the door and they start to walk. Now, you've walked with a friend going someplace and you start looking at each other and you start walking faster. And pretty soon, you look at each other, and pretty next thing you know, you're running. And you're running as fast as you can. And John, man, he runs real fast. John was quicker. They believed John was a little younger. So naturally, John was a little bit more champion of runs. So he gets there. It turned out to be a race. It turned out to be a race. I'm going to get there first. I'm going to get there first. So they ran down. They ran down to the tomb. Can you imagine this? These two grown men running like this, looking over their shoulder. Peter's going, oh, oh, oh. They're running down to the tomb. It must have been great. And in verse 4, it says, So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. When he got there, did he do his rocky dance? Did he stand there like this? I beat you. Hey, where you been? Come on. I mean, think about it. These guys were always one-upping each other. I'm the greatest. No, you're not. M2. Uh-uh. Yes, sir. No. I mean, come on. They're always doing this. Turned out to be a race. Who would get bragging rights? John gets there first, and he looks in. He looks in, verse 5, and stooping down and looking in, he saw the linen clothes there, lying there, yet he did not go in. He looked in. Surprise! Mary was right. Mary was right. He's not there. Mary was right. He looks in. Surprise! Just like Mary said. It's interesting John just looks in. He doesn't go in. Very interesting. Now, John writing this is very, very good with Greek words, and he uses three different Greek words to describe what each of them saw. The Greek word here for saw is blepo, B-L-E-P-O. It means to glance in and to look. He looked in. He wasn't there. Why didn't he go in? Why didn't John go in? It doesn't say why he didn't go in at this time. He must have beaten Peter pretty solidly because he had time to wait for him, look in, and come back out. 
He didn't immediately go in the tomb. Maybe he was out of breath from running. Maybe he just looked in there. Maybe he looked in and saw the linen clothes. Ah, you know. But he beat Peter, Peter pretty good. Maybe he was just trying to get a grip on the situation. Maybe he's trying to organize his thoughts in his head. I don't know. It doesn't say. What a surprise. Can you imagine? John saw him die. John was there when he said, it is finished. John saw him die. John was there when he took him off the cross, when they laid him on this board and they carried him to the tomb. John was there. John saw with his own eyes. He saw his, his, his master, his friend. He saw the lifeless body. He saw it. Where is he? Look at verse 6 and 7. Then Peter, Simon Peter, came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloth lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded together in a place by itself. Peter finally gets there. Yo, John, give me a break, bud. Holy mackerel. Peter gets there. He's huffing, and he's puffing, and he's trying to get in. He looks in, and he reacts differently than John, doesn't he? He goes in. Now, before I read this and I first view of Peter, my thoughts of Peter going into the tomb was like, all right, where is he? Throwing the clothes around. I know he's here someplace. I mean, doesn't that fit what Peter would do, Mr. Impulsive? That fits, right? But he really didn't do that. He went in and surprise, Jesus wasn't there. He sees the same thing that John saw, but the Greek word here used for him is therel. It means he looked carefully. He observed. And it's really interesting that in Luke 24, 12, it tells us that when Peter came out of the tomb, he marveled. When the marvel here, I would expect Peter to run into the tomb and throw the clothes all over the place. But he didn't do that. He examined the clothes. He noticed that they were neatly folded. He marveled to himself. And the Greek word here is thaumadzo. It means to wonder, to admire, to marvel. He wondered. He marveled at what he saw. Could it be true? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? The surprise was overwhelming. Because if he didn't rise from the dead, where was his body? Peter went into the tomb. John did not. John sees Peter, goes in. He said, well, if he can go in, I can go in. And he follows. Look at verse 8. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first, I love John, <laughs> always wants to remember, I beat him. I beat him. Hey, I got there first. Don't worry what be said. When and also, he saw and believed. You got to love John. You got to love that verse. You have got to love that verse. He saw and he believes. The Greek word here for Saul is idos. It means to perceive with intellectual comprehension. He saw and he believed. The word for believe is pusteo, which means he saw and had faith. He believed. His faith soared. He believed. For John, the surprise was a reality. He believed. He got it. John got it. He knew. Imagine what was going on in their heads. Two people looking into the empty tomb with two different actions, two different reactions. One marveled and wondered. One marveled and wondered at what happened. The other one simply believed by faith. Childlike faith. He saw and he believed. They both saw the evidence. 
The tomb was empty. By the way, I've been to both of them. They're both empty. Even today, folks, they are both empty. And they both came to different conclusions. One marveled, one believed. I love what Gusick says about John. Quote, generally, the very first Christians did not believe in the resurrection only because the tomb was empty. They did believe. They believed in the resurrection only because the tomb was empty. But because they saw and met the resurrected Jesus. John is an exception, he says. He believed simply by seeing the empty tomb before meeting the resurrected Christ. John believed. John believed. John gives a commentary that we already read in verse 9. He says, For as yet they did not know Scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So they went to their own homes in verse 10. They went to their homes. They saw it. They went to their own homes. Now the other Gospels give greater detail. The other Gospels give you more detail. Peter, uh, John is going to continue with his details when Mary Magdalene somehow goes back to the tomb. Both Peter and John knew the fact of the resurrection because they saw the evidence. Jesus' body was not in the tomb. So what does the resurrection mean for us? And how do you react to the empty tomb? How do you react to the fact that Jesus is not there? Again, Gusick, quote, knowing the fact of the resurrection is an important start, but it's not enough. He continues, we need to let the Bible tell us the meaning and the importance of Jesus' resurrection. So, leafing through the scriptures, what does the Bible tell us? Well, the Bible tells us that the resurrection means that everything Jesus told us about himself was true. He indeed is the Son of God. And being the Son of God, by believing in him, we too can have eternal life. And that's what the resurrection tells us. Resurrection tells us that God has a plan, an eternal plan for these mortal bodies that will be changed in an instant. He has a plan. The resurrection means to us that Jesus is alive today. Hallelujah. He is risen and he's risen indeed. He's alive today. He's working in our hearts. He's working in your family's hearts. He's working everywhere in our ministries. The resurrection tells us that Christianity and our God that we serve is unique and completely different than any religion in the world. Any religion whatsoever. Once again, Guzik says, quote, the death of Jesus on the cross, I love this, was the payment. The resurrection was the receipt, showing the payment was perfect in the sight of God the Father, unquote. I love that. How do you view the resurrection? The resurrection tells us how much God loves us. The resurrection tells us how much God loves us. He loves us just like he loved the disciples. And he wants to bring us into that understanding, and he wants to bring us into that belief. He wants us to look back at the events on our own lives and examine the scripture to see that his words are pure and true, and his promises are all confirmed. So the woman and the disciples were surprised that day. They were surprised that Jesus rose from the dead. But I want to talk about a couple other surprises that are coming. I want to talk a few minutes about a couple other surprises that are on the way. We read of a day coming when we will leave this earth and meet Jesus in the air. A day that could come for some like a thief in the night. A day that will catch many by surprise. 
But the disciples have been given fair warning. And we too have been given fair warning about this event that we call the rapture of the church. Jesus spoke of it in John 14, 1 to 3. You can read the verses yourself. The Apostle Paul affirms it in 1 Corinthians 5, 51 through 52. And he confirms it again in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, that there is a time coming, a time coming when those who believe will be caught up in the air to meet our Savior, to meet our Jesus. Those who believe in Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for salvation, for the forgiveness of sin. Those that believe that he did rise again on the third day. When you believe in that, you're called the church. You're called his bride. And upon receiving Jesus as your Savior, you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and lives inside you. The Holy Spirit has a job. And one of those jobs is to conform you into the image of Jesus Christ, to sanctify you, to make you holy, to make you pure, so that when you meet the Lord in the air, you will be pure and chaste. So Jesus is coming for his bride, his church, at an unknown day and an unknown time, and we will be caught up in the air to meet with him. And after this, there's a period known as the Great Tribulation. It lasts for seven years. It's a time when God's wrath is pulled out upon the world. God's wrath. But from Scripture, we know that the church will not be subject to God's wrath. We are not subject to God's wrath. You can read that in uh, Romans 5, 9, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, and Romans 1, 18. We are not subject to God's wrath. God will deliver the righteous, and he will reserve the ungodly for a day of judgment. Peter spoke about that in 2 Peter 2. We read that, how he delivered Lot when he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, how he delivered Noah out of the world when the flood came. When you realize that the tribulation is of God and from God, it automatically takes God's people out from being involved. It is not just consistent with the character of God to judge the righteous with the wicked. That's inconsistent to God. He doesn't do that. But those who have accepted Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for the forgiveness of sin will go through this, who have not accepted, excuse me, those who have not accepted Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for the forgiveness of sin will go through this great time of wrath. They will be deemed wicked and they will have to God's judgment cast upon them. I believe the Lord wants us to believe that we are in the last days. Why? Because we're in the last days. This should give us an urgency to take the gospel message everywhere we go. It should give us a perspective on material things, which will pass away when the Lord comes. We don't have any use for material things when the kingdom is at hand. This is a surprise that is waiting. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will be what they called left behind. You will go through this great time of wrath. A horrible time in which... The first day, one-third of the world is killed. And you can still accept Christ as your Savior during this time, but you will have to be martyred in. You'll have to use your head. Your head will have to be cut off to come in. Don't be surprised. It's another one that's waiting. But I believe that there's another one waiting. There's another surprise yet to come. You are assured. We'd love to keep studying the Word of God with you again next time on Assure Hope. In the meantime, we invite you to learn more about this program by visiting our website, assurehoperadio.com. 
There, you'll find our archive of previous messages from Pastor Dave Shank, available to listen to, download, or even share with your friends and family, all free of charge. Just look under the Messages tab. You can listen to additional teachings from this series in John or jump to another book of the Bible. Each book gives some useful insight into God's plan for you and the world you live in. We trust that A Sure Hope is an encouraging program for you. And if you're without a church family, we'd love for you to join us. If you happen to be in the Cape May area, we'd love to meet you in person for a time of worship and Bible study right here at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. We meet weekly on Sunday at 10 a.m. And you can find all the information you need by visiting assurehoperadio.com. If you live further away or are unable to come in person, we understand. And we'd still love for you to be a part of our church family virtually. You can join us for church online through Facebook Live and on YouTube. Just follow the links that are available at assurehoperadio.com. And don't forget to like and subscribe to keep up to date with the latest information. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Assure Hope.